Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. Last week, I talked about the dangers of spiritual orthorexia or becoming a right living junkie. When I thought of a great follow-up for last week's podcast, I immediately thought of Michelle DeRusha. Did I say that right? Author of Spiritual Misfits. I've been on a launch team for two of Michelle's books and love what she has to say about spiritual self-care, although she might not think she's talking about spiritual self-care, especially in your last book that you wrote, True You. Michelle, tell us a little bit about your book, Spiritual Misfits. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. So glad to be chatting with you. Spiritual Misfit, that was my first book. It came out a few years ago, and it's a memoir. It's about my journey back to faith after I call it my hiatus. It was a long period of like 20 years where I was away from church and religion and really belief um, when it comes right down to it. I'd been raised Catholic and then stepped away, really had kind of a falling out of faith for a long time, and then slowly came back to it after I was married, met my husband who was raised Lutheran, and we had kids, and we had relocated from Massachusetts to Nebraska, and it was just this period in my life where everything kind of got real difficult, you know, just new place, new home, new mom. My husband had a new job and I realized that, huh, I maybe need (laughs) something other than myself to rely on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my husband wanted to find a church where we could raise our kids, you know, in Sunday school and whatnot. And I was game for that. And so I started attending this Lutheran church that we found And just slowly kind of eased back into it, really resonated with the message that I was hearing about love and grace. I just started attending church again and and lo and behold, started writing about it, writing about the journey. And that's how that book was born. Wow, that's cool. I think a lot of people go on a similar journey where they, they grew up in a faith and then the term now is deconversion. They deconvert. One of my daughters is in the process of deconverting. And, you know, as a parent, it's really hard to watch. For sure. To understand. Yeah. And so I always feel hopeful when I hear people say, yeah, I deconverted, but now I've reconverted. Yeah. And honestly, I hadn't heard that term before, but it's very fitting. And honestly, both of my kids, now that you've said that, are kind of in a deconverting phase. And even somebody who has walked through that season myself, I'm still unnerved by the fact that I'm now watching my kids go through it. And even though I know that that I came out the other side and and landed in a strong faith, I still think, oh, I just, I didn't really want that for them. But right. I think for a lot of people, it's part of their their faith journey, growth and maturation process. So yeah, I'm trying not to get too wigged out. I know in order for faith to be ours, it it has to be ours. It can't be our parents. They might sing that song, faith of our fathers, but that doesn't cut it. It has to be our faith. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. And I kind of feel like, man, I feel like I did everything right, you know, and 
and where did I go wrong? What happened? But it's not really about that. I don't think, I mean, it's just, you have to look at the bigger picture and I do believe that God, you know, works in mysterious ways. He has his own way of working. So just trusting in that process. And I think one thing, a lot of people from our generation, you know, we grew up with rules and formulas. You do this and you do this and you do this and you get this. So, you know, you go to church and you don't do this and you don't do that. And you, you know, go to a parochial school and learn your catechism if you're Catholic, or you go to a parochial school and take Bible class every day. Then the end product is going to be a Christian who is saved. But it's so much more than that. And I feel like a lot of people today still believe that going to church weekly or occasionally is kind of the sum of the spiritual self-care they need in their lives. Do we need more than just church? I, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like I need more than church. And in recent years, especially during the pandemic, which has been an interesting time because we stopped going to church for a good long while. We, we tried our Zoom church and that lasted a couple of weeks and we were like not into it. So we were kind of away from church. And so I was kind of seeking community in some way. And I, I found this contemplative Christian group here in Lincoln, which is where I live in Nebraska. And we're meeting over, over Zoom too. So they weren't doing it in person either, but mm -hmm. it just met some need that I, that I had in that moment for something more, I mean, a little regimented than like a church service. So a little more fluid, mm -hmm. um, a lot of just conversation, discussion, room for questions a lot more gray area, which I'm actually not super comfortable in because I'm a very type A person. And I think being raised Catholic and having that type A personality, like I do gravitate towards rules and structure, right. but it's good for me to dip my toes into something that's a little more fluid. And mm -hmm. so this group, this contemplative group that I meet with every week has just been wonderful community. I've literally never met them, any of them in person yet, even though they're all local, we still continue to meet online. So that has filled a need in me that I didn't even know I had. Mm -hmm. I was kind of, I was searching for something, Googling, you know, like contemplation or contemplative groups in my area and came across this website and, and just signed up for I think I signed up for a retreat very early in the pandemic, like an online retreat. I was mm -hmm. like, I like these people. This is, this is different. This is different cool. than I'm used to. Cause you know, I go to, was raised Catholic, go to a Lutheran church, very liturgical, mm -hmm. which as I said, I love, but this group was answering some, some other need in me. So yeah, I do think there are other ways of growing our spirituality outside of the typical church format. Yeah. I'm kind of a church rebel. I enjoy going sometimes, but I'm an introvert. So for me, being out on a nice long hike somewhere where it's you know beautiful or even quiet fills me spiritually a lot more than going to a church service, especially if I have problems understanding the speaker because they speak with an accent or something. And I spend all my time doing my type A English teacher internal grammatical error correcting. <laughs> 
you can really get distracted and hung up on things like that, right? Yeah. Start obsessing and just missing the entire point, the entire message whatsoever. Right. And and I think the devil knows that. And I think that's where he, he gets me over and over again. If I had my list of spiritual needs, going to church is kind of low on the list. And so secretly don't tell anyone, although I'm announcing this on the podcast, um, <laughs> I kind of enjoyed the pandemic because I couldn't go to church and no one was going to look down at me. I could go hiking or go for a long drive or do some watercolor painting of birds or something. It was kind of a relief not to have to go to church and not feel the social pressure to go. Like no one was calling me saying, Hey, how come you haven't been at church lately? (laughs) None of us were there. Yeah, no, I can relate to that entirely. And honestly, I feel most connected to God when I'm outdoors in nature. So I spend a lot of time outside like you hiking, walking, we have a dog. So he forces me to be outside every day, no matter what the weather. And even if I don't want to be outdoors on a 20 degree day or a negative 20 degree day, I inevitably find something a bit of awe and wonder out there in those moments. And to me, that is church, spirituality, God, the Holy Spirit at work. So yeah, I can 100% relate to that. I think the one thing that church, traditional church helps me is it helps me maybe take action in terms of like a service or connecting with my community, nudges me out of my comfort zone in a way that I might not initiate on my own. So we have a pretty large church that's involved in a lot of community missions feeding the hungry and just all sorts of stuff. I probably would not take that initiative just on my own, but being surrounded by people who are doing that and opportunity, the invitation is present there. And it's easy for me to say yes in that context. And that nudges me out of my, I don't know, I tend to, I'm a little bit complacent probably when it comes to that kind of thing. So I do appreciate that about my church community. Yeah, well, I think I remember you've mentored some refugees. Yeah, and, yep. and So yeah, that's really cool. I live in a town that's probably the size of two city blocks of Lincoln. Our elevation and our population are about the same, 5,000. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. The church that I go to is there because of the school that I work and the majority of the people at the church are students. And then the staff, we all live on the same campus and we all work together and we meet four days a week already. Yeah, that's different. I mean, that's yeah. where your work life and your spiritual life are overlapping. And some right. of the same people, those communities are overlapping. And I think that would be, that would add a different, another layer of challenge to a yes. church community that overlaps with your work community. Yeah. So I remember you talking after your fourth book came out and you made an announcement that you were going to step back from publishing after writing four books. Tell me a little bit more about your decision about stepping back. Yeah, that was, that was a big one. So I'd been writing publicly for about 10 years, 2019, my fourth book came out and I just felt, I felt like fractured in my soul, I guess. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was kind of just disintegrated physically, mentally, spiritually. My husband and I were having a conversation one day. This was, so my book came out in January. So this was February. This was pretty mm-hmm. soon after my book came out. And we were sitting on the couch and I was really upset. 
Um, I was super disappointed because my book hadn't sold very well. And I don't know if y'all have ever talked about the Enneagram on your podcast. Um, I haven't yet. But okay. I've, I've read so up I won't on get it, yeah. it too much, but basically on the, on the Enneagram spectrum, I'm sort of like a high achiever kind of person uh-huh. and put a lot of weight in success Feedback. and achievement and yeah, public affirmation and all of that. And this is really hard to just feel like I wasn't meeting my goals and, and I was just really disappointed. And so, and my husband just very candidly, gently, but candidly observed that he said something like from where, from where I sit, it seems like your work as an author brings you much more sorrow than joy. And -hmm. in that moment, I knew that that was true, that my job, my vocation was not good for me. Mm -hmm. wasn't good for my, my whole self. And so after some hemming and hawing, (laughs) I decided to step out, to step away, which was hard because I had another book contract. Um, Yeah. So I had to withdraw from this book that I, the next book that I was contracted to write and which meant paying back the advance because they had paid me to write the book and so there's a financial thing there that was a hurdle that was hard to overcome, but it was a good decision. It was the right decision. I have in the, it's been two years now. So have really done a lot of inner soul work, um, mm-hmm. figuring out who I am and, and how I thrive and who God has created me to be. And if I'm living as that person or how I can live to that to the best of my ability as a, the person that he created me to be, I just feel much more at peace and whole and like a whole person. It was a good decision. I don't regret the years that I spent writing and, and working and publishing at all, but I also know that it was not the healthiest place for me, for who I am. Did So I'm curious, did your first book come out after 2007? Yeah, I think it was 2014. Okay, see, I have this theory that after Hurricane Katrina and our economic downturn or plummet or whatever you want to call it, publishing changed drastically. It went from the publishing house taking care of all of the selling of the book to suddenly it got dumped on the author's lap because they had to let all their publicists go at the publishing houses. And so suddenly you didn't just get to write. You had to write and have a platform and develop the platform and and do all of this stuff that maybe you weren't comfortable with. That was definitely a big part of it for me. There was so much pressure on exactly what you said, the platform building. There's Mm -hmm. so much emphasis on social media and building your, your fan base, your followers. And just was driving myself so hard to mm-hmm. continue. It just felt like pushing, 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 pushing all the time and constant content creation. Right. So not only are you writing a book of 60,000 words or whatever, but then mm-hmm. every day you're creating mini stories on right. Instagram or Facebook or, or Twitter. So unique and being creative. And I didn't have that capacity. I didn't have that creative capacity and the pressure of the platform building and just being in that 
public sphere all the time. I felt like if I wasn't posting every day that I was dropping the ball and Mm -hmm. yeah, it just, it was burnout for sure. Yeah. Um, So that was part of it. Yeah. hundred percent. And as you were talking there, I just thought of, you know, there's a spiritual parallel to all of that. A lot of times I think people equate uh, spirituality with how religious we are and how we produce, you know, are we doing Bible studies? Are we passing out pamphlets or feeding the poor or witnessing or going to church and they're, you know, taking attendance, whether it's literal or mental. And all of that can exhaust us to the point where we lose touch with our relationship with God because we're focused on output and we forget that we need input. Yeah. And my whole identity became wrapped up in my work. I I lost my identity of who I was just as a person and a human being created by God. And so I felt like it just became intertwined with production and work and my ability to, yeah, produce more. So my identity as a Christian, because I was writing Christian books was right. also wrapped up in that. Right. Cause I felt like, well, this is like a ministry and this is what I'm called to do. This is my vocation. And so mm-hmm. if I don't do this, then I'm, I'm not living my fullest life as a Christian. I'm not fulfilling my you know, my Christian duty or whatever. And oh my goodness, it was all wrapped up together. And I had to untwine that whole narrative and start over in a way. What are some specific things that you've learned during your hiatus or the time that you've stepped back from publishing that listeners might be able to apply to their own life or questions they might want to ask themselves about their vocation, ministry, or calling? And their spiritual self-care. I think an easy thing to do is to to look at and ask yourself what your relationship is with social media. I think a lot of us, most of us are on some form of social media these days. And so there are some hard, useful questions to be asked there about why, why we're on social media and, and what we're looking for there. And, and if we're finding what we need there, um, our longing and our desire for relationship, particularly relationship with God is being filled there. It wasn't for me. And I know that there are plenty of genuine connections and relationships that are nurtured on social media. And I have friendships that were born there. So there are good parts of it, but you can lose yourself in that process. So I think it's always great spiritual soul care to take a little hiatus and give yourself some distance from that. It was particularly important for me because my whole job was wrapped up in, in social media as well. So that was the first thing I did after I stepped back out of publishing is I also stepped out of social media altogether. I just closed all my accounts and took a good, long, many month break Mm -hmm. from that. Did you go through withdrawal? By that point, I was so exhausted and Mm -hmm. so burned out that it was only a relief. I, there was no withdrawal. I just was so tremendously relieved not to have to be producing and connecting and putting out more content every day. So yeah, yeah, it just felt like a retreat. Yeah. Truly. Awesome. Okay. So the first Um, one would be, um, 
to evaluate how social media is helping or hurting your relationship with God and, and whether it's fulfilling the desire of your heart to have closeness with him, which is a, a desire that is built into us. Um, and often we think we can fulfill it by social media or relationships with people that we're still seeking. Yeah. I think something else too to consider is what your true identity is. So for me, like I said, my identity became very much entangled in my work, but there are lots of ways to have what's called disordered attachments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to lose your identity and put your focus on something else, whether it's parenting your job, service to your community, you know, being the be all and end all best Christian ever. I mean, gosh, anything can become a disordered attachment, right? If we're we're kind of losing our focus or shifting our focus away from God and towards this other thing where we think we can find fulfillment and have our longings and desires met, but it is disordered. It's not going to be in the end fruitful. not going to be a furthering of your relationship with God. So I I think just kind of doing like a broad scale, just look at your life, Um, look at your work, your family relationships, your friend relationships, your service, your, you know, what you're doing at your church and just kind of try to assess like, are these healthy attachments or Mm -hmm. am I losing my identity here? Am I losing my primary identity as a beoved child of God somewhere in this mix. Did you, ever see, did you ever see the movie Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts? Yeah, she she yeah. gets to the altar multiple times, but she always runs because she, her ultimate problem is she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know how she likes her eggs. She always likes them the way her fiance likes them instead of how she really likes them. And so she goes through this period where she's eating them fried and scrambled and over easy and everything, trying to figure out what she actually likes. I remember that part. Yeah. (laughs) So so that's, yeah, that's what you're, what you were saying brings to mind is, and I love the the term disordered attachment. It's so easy to fall into that if Mm -hmm. we're not constantly kind of reviewing and asking ourselves, you know, is, wait, is this healthy? Right. And I mean, we're human. So we all carry with us wounds and scars and baggage and whether that's from our childhood or, or other hardships in our life. And, and I think sometimes that's where our disordered attachments come from. Mm -hmm. You know, I can look back at this desire that I have to kind of win approval and affirmation and be successful and achieving. And I mean, it's not all related to this, but a lot of it goes back to like, my relationship with my parents and wanting to sort of like earn their love. Not that they didn't love me. They did, but somehow I felt like I needed to earn it by being the best student and the best daughter and get the straight A's and be amazing on the soccer field or whatever. And so you can see that pattern like through my whole life. And now I'm 51 years old. (laughs) See, I'm older. I'm 55. Okay. (laughs) Right. So still trying to un unweave those entanglements and yeah. yeah, Are you the oldest child? I am. Mm -hmm. I'm only two, but still, yeah. 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 
I'm a quintessential older child too. The oldest, yeah. oldest sibling, yeah. See, I'm the second of four, and we're all two years apart. Right. Um, but I do have a lot of those old, you know, oldest child tendencies, the perfectionism, and the yeah. And the second children are the ones who always want to beat the first child. So very competitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see that in my husband because he's the younger sibling of two. Okay. So, yeah, that dynamic has definitely played out there. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting when you have, you know, a second child married to a first child. One wants to be perfect and the other one wants to be better. Right? Yeah. It can make for an interesting, interesting dynamic in a marriage too. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so funny. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think that's, an important and helpful thing to do. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say is to maybe look for a more, or be open to a more expansive view of spirituality and just where you are experiencing God. Mm-hmm. Because of course, God is everywhere. He is right. not relegated to just the church. Right. And I think if we are more intentional about opening ourselves to the experience of God, everywhere in our everyday lives. Yeah. It's just, I think a more expansive understanding of spirituality has been very helpful to me. It's easy to think that he resides within those four walls. Uh, yeah. But one, one thing that has helped me is be aware of your surroundings and, and look for something beautiful. And what is 20 below, you know, it's, it's important that you focus on what's beautiful. Right. <laughs> Because it's cold outside. Off of the misery of the cold, right? Yeah. Well, and the other thing I try to do at the end of the day, I I like to try to just jot a couple notes. I'm a big journaler, but I like to try to jot a couple notes about maybe where I saw or felt or heard or experienced God during my day. It's kind of like partially a gratitude list, partially the examine practice, which is like a Ignatian. Ignatius of Loyola was a Catholic saint way back in who knows when, many centuries uh-huh. ago. And he established this practice of the daily examine, which is basically just a fancy word for examining your day right. and looking for where God was present. And I like to do that right before bed. If I can just mm-hmm. jot down a few things. And it's fun to look back in my journal and see, oh, right, I remember that. And I yeah. don't know. It's just sweet. It's a sweet practice. Yeah. I usually do a gratitude list in the morning when I do my daily devotions, but I like that idea of finishing the day on a high note uh, because sometimes I forget between, you know, the great things that I'm grateful for that day. I forget them by the next morning because, you know, old age. (laughs) Oh, right. I know. Well, sometimes I end up doing mine in the morning too, because I'm too tired at night (laughs) because old age. So (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I go right to bed. Kids, kids don't like to go to bed early. And I'm like, no, it's awesome. Like if I can get in bed by eight o'clock. Oh, every night for sure. I'm in bed at nine. Plus I like to read before I go to bed. So yeah. I have to make time to read. So that means you have to get in bed even earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's such a luxury. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today on the podcast and I'll leave links in the show notes to your books and I encourage everyone to to go to your library and check them out or order them on Amazon or wherever you find books. You're not on social media anymore or you are? I am. Yeah, I'm back. I'm mainly on Instagram. Okay. Um, It's just at Michelle DeRussia and I still write a monthly newsletter. I do just do it for the joy of it. 
there's no pressure at all. I'm not looking to build an audience anymore, but I just, writing is part of how I process just life and, and faith and all the things. So yeah. And, yeah, and I, I subscribe to it and I enjoy reading it and, and yeah. And that's I'll how we reply every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this has been really fun. Thanks for having me. It helps oh, to kind of talk about these things sometimes. Cause I don't even, like you said, you probably don't even know what you're doing is soul care, or spiritual care. I'm like, well, that's true. I haven't really thought of it in that particular way. So it's been enlightening yeah. for me to think about yeah. it in a new way. Yes. Well, thank you so much once again. Yeah. Thanks, Anita. Don't forget Michelle's four hacks for improving your spiritual self-care. Hack number one, take a hiatus or a break from social media and examine why it's in your life and how you use it. Hack number two, take the time to discover your true identity. Hack number three, take time for gratitude. And hack number four, take time for the daily examine. At the end of each day, spend a little time thanking God for the good things that have happened. Come back next week when I share with you how the Army's After Action Review, or AAR, can help you help you improve your mental self-care. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, Take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.